uh, give me and Don a brief introduction on yourself. Yes, uh, let's see. I'm the author of a new book called The Boy Crisis, B-O-Y Crisis. And my background is I've come all the way from being um, uh, early in my career, um, some hundred years ago or so. Um, I was in the board of directors of the National Organization for Women in New York City and spoke all around the world on feminist issues and its importance. And then I began to see many of the feminists uh, become very anti-family and anti-male um, and not, not appreciating <coughs> fathers enough, yes. and so I began to distinguish between the parts of feminism that, ex that expanded options for women that I still support um, versus the parts of feminism that were opposing, um, uh, that were saying that after divorce, uh, women should be the primary parent if they chose to be, and that al allowed for 53% um, of women who are under 30 in the United States to have children without being married, which usually resulted in a lack of father involvement. And I started seeing the boy crisis that I had been studying for the past 11 years, uh, resi residing mostly where fathers do not reside. And so I began to speak up about that. We have got a great guest with us today here in our program, and uh, the boy crisis. Dr. Warren Farrell is with us, and uh, he joins us live here in our broadcast. Now, um, you say that it's a scary and difficult time for young men in the United States, uh, especially with this Kavanaugh situation. Um, give us, give us your uh, details on this. What, what, why, why do you believe this way? Yes, a, a lot of young men that I've interviewed are saying that, and this was even before Kavanaugh, um, were saying that, you know, it's really scary because um, th th supposedly they live in this world of equality, but when it comes to dating, um, it's really not a world of equality. They say that women have the option to ask them out, and some women who are not super attractive do ask out some of the guys that are more attractive that they know will never ask them out. So some women exercise that option, but the expectation um, is still on the guys, and uh, that we they have new ways of doing this. They have, you know, when a guy asks a woman to a prom, he might um, do a whole um, a whole celebration um, as if he were proposing in a real marriage, and they call this a a promposal that he does. But it's still the guy doing the promposal to the woman, saying that you know here's all the uh, incentives I have to, and the the humor that I have and the performances that I do to ask you out and the only time that that's sort of reversed systematically is a Sadie Hawkins day. So the guys are saying to me, I, I don't know when I do ask a woman out whether I should, you know, I, I'm afraid that if I initiate too much, too quickly, too soon, that I'll be seen as some type of um, sexual harasser and if um, I know from my experience that I, a woman should have a couple of drinks because that makes her more relaxed and less inhibited and so I buy a couple of drinks, and, but then again, if there's a couple more drinks than that, uh, she might be sensitive to those drinks and become sort of drunk. And then if we have sex that she consents to while, when she's drunk, I could be accused of date rape or sexual harassment in the morning. Uh, on the other hand, so, I, so I've, I've erred in the other direction, and I've gone ahead and been very cautious and, not, and you know, waited for a couple of dates to, um, to go more beyond hand-holding and... Um, 
and I, almost invariably I get the response from a woman saying, I really like you. You are such a sweet guy. Um, you know, I'd love to be friends. And one guy said to me, you know, um, uh, and then uh, after we were friends for a while, which I was, of course, hoping that would change, um, she said, you know, Kyle, that guy in your math class, he's a quarterback. I really love the way he plays with such assurance. Can Maybe could you introduce me to him? And it was sort of like, um, so the, the guy on the one hand, so guys are feeling caught between a rock and a hard place. And what is not being said is that women are complaining that they are oftentimes not the self-made billionaires that, you know, that, that, that all the recent billionaires who are self-made are almost 100% men. And so they're complaining as if that was a glass ceiling. But the primary um, ingredient of a self-made billionaire is the, the training to, and the personality to constantly take risks of rejection. And girls and women are not being asked to share those risks of rejection via their parents, via school, or via any of the social um, you know, um, forces that are, that are at work as they're uh, in their teenage and early 20s. Boy, that's that's, that's a mouthful. That's, that's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful mouthful. Yes, yes. Uh, I, I, I will have to say we have got a, a great guest with us today. He joins us live here in our broadcast, the author of The Boy Crisis, Why Our Boys Are Struggling and What We Can Do About It. Dr. Warren Farrell with us today. He is the author of Boy Crisis. Now, um, tell us a little bit about this uh, book and why you decided to write it. What was the writing process like here, Doctor? Yes, I, I, one of the things that intrigued me most in doing the research for the boy crisis was he, learning the 10 differences between dad, what I call dad-style parenting versus mom-style parenting. And I, I never, I, I often knew that dads were more likely to roughhouse than, than moms were. That was pretty apparent. Um, but as I started, you know, digging deeper into this, I would find that, first of all, when a dad roughhouses with his kids, almost always the mother is looking at the roughhousing and saying, I just have like one more child to monitor here. <laughs> you know what I don't, this is like, um, and sooner or later they're going to have, you know, they're going to bang their heads or somebody's going to end up crying. And sure enough, she's right. And somebody ends up crying. And then dad says, you know, uh, all right, John, you pushed, um, um, you know, Janie too much or you, um, you know, you gave your younger brother an elbow. Uh, you do that again and we'll have to stop roughhousing and so then he returns to the roughhousing and the mother says, wait a minute, you just saw that this roughhousing ended in the kids crying, and you're now returning to the process that ended up hurting them? Don't you learn anything? And the father, um, you know, not reading parenting magazines or books like The Boy Crisis, does not pick up uh, on, on, on what he is doing that unwittingly that is so valuable to the children. And here's some examples of that. Um, the dad will tip um, say something like, you know, okay, you can't, um, you know, push or shove your brother or sister this way until you, um, uh, in, um, while you're roughhousing, and there's going to be no more roughhousing if you do that. And so invariably, 
returning to the roughhousing, one of the kids gets so excited, which is called and called emotional intelligence under fire, um, and they end up um, um, doing exactly what Dad warned them not to do. So the dad typically has built a bond with the child, and he says, as a result, he uses that bond. He cashes in on it and says, okay, no more roughhousing till tomorrow night. Um, I warned you, and you broke it uh, away. Now, what he's done there is he's um, taught the children to think about needs other than their own, not just in theory, but in actual practice, even when they were excited and didn't want to think about anyone's needs other than their own. So study of dads all around the world find that children who have a lot of dad involvement end up being more empathetic, that is, thoughtful of their brothers and sisters and other people's feelings than uh, children that have minimal or no father involvement. But dads don't explain to moms that, you know, the, this rough housing helps me to um, build a bond with the kids so they don't resent my enforcing boundaries. Um, and then sec and secondly, it helps me to say something and not have to repeat it um, by enforcing the boundary directly. And it forces the kids to see that it's in their best interest to think of someone else's needs other than their own. And so as a result of not saying that to mom, mom just thinks roughhousing is dad behaving like one more child as opposed to realizing that there's a lot more to it than meets the eye. And this is just a part of the, the this, this process. Um, when a dad, when a mom repeats over and over again, um, I told you to be you know careful and considerate of your sister, um, the the children, but they, she does not deprive, deprive them of further roughhousing, the children would rather hear a repetition uh, than, than stop being rough um, and inconsiderate of their brother and sister in order to be the person that, quote, wins in the roughhousing um, uh, competition. And so these are some of the, uh, so many mothers are very disconcerted when they see um, that they always have to repeat their what they say over and over again, whereas dads say it oftentimes one time and the kids obey. And, you know, moms who usually invest more in children time-wise get very sort of disconcerted and feel disrespected uh, that, that, that this is happening to them. Yeah. Uh, I, I grew, grew up in, uh, in, in a family where, where my father's word, uh, word was, was, was the final word. Yes. And, uh, but, um, uh, uh, but my mother's word was kind of like the uh, one to, to build uh, understanding and compassion. Um, and my father certainly had it as well, but not to that extent. Uh, everything you say is so accurate. But, but um, when we talk about roughhousing, I have to be an only child. So I never got the association of brothers and sisters. And I don't understand to this day the interaction between brothers and sisters. But it's certain a, a mystery to me and to many people uh, uh, how people uh, act in it. So um, I, I, I guess my question to you is growing up in a fatherless environment uh, puts an awful lot of extra burden on uh, a man as they're growing up and as they become men. What do you say to that? 
I, I, your voice is um, uh, sort of uh, wavering, um, and I'm, uh, I wasn't able to hear the last part of what you sa said there. I was able to follow it up to, up to that point. Um, I'm sorry. I don't know why it's wavering, but um, it, it is. Um, what, what, I'm, what I'm basically saying is um, um, uh, men have to, uh, as, uh, as boys and girls, um, um, as, as boys and girls uh, get, get into this uh, and grow up, uh, they learn from their father almost the uh, single, you know, to, his word is usually final, but the mother's word is usually the temperance word. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, so um, I'm always amazed at um, uh, how, how that works. Uh, uh, being an only child, I've never understood the interplay between uh, brothers and sisters, but it is an extremely intricate part of a socialization. But I guess my question is, without a father, uh, what happens to the boys today who are growing up in a, in a world where um, the rules uh, are, are in flux? And what, what was uh, valid 20 years ago or 30 years ago are no longer valid, yet we're being, if uh, Justice Kennedy is any example, we're paying for it uh, now. How do you handle yes. What do you say to all of that? You, you're, first of all, you're absolutely right. This is um, what, and what every dad that's listening needs to understand, and moms too, is that in the old days, we were preparing boys for, to be heroes in war. We were preparing them to serve the country by being in war. So we were preparing boys to be disposable. Um, and we were also preparing boys to be the sole breadwinners so, so that they did whatever they needed to do at work. If they hadn't graduated from college, you'd be, you you'd become a garbage collector, if you'd had some um, vocational training, you became a construction worker. All the hazardous jobs uh, were were filled by men at the 90 to 100 percent level. Well, today um, uh, we don't have as much need for as many men to be disposable in, in war, and and um, women men don't have to be sole breadwinners um, to the same degree as they did in the past. So there's a little bit more flexibility. But on the other hand, the shadow side is that there is is what I call a purpose void. Um, you, you don't become a man by automatically becoming a warrior. You don't become a man by being the sole breadwinner because a woman may share that with you. And so, um, and when you have a purpose void combined with a dad void, there's no there's no dad there to guide a man, no male role model to guide the boy to a way of being in the world that knows how to choose among the much more flexible world with much greater options that we have today. And so this, so dads, uh, and when there is a dad void, there is a postponed gratification void. And postponed gratification is the single biggest predictor of success. So I'll explain what I mean by that. Um, moms and dads will both do set boundaries the same way in order, um, and moms will tend, as I'll say, for example, uh, you can't have your ice cream until you finish your peas. And 
kids will test boundaries in the same way. Uh, they'll tend to say, you know, uh, okay, I had a few more peas, can I have the ice cream? And But the difference is in the way moms and dads go from there. Moms are likely to say, okay, you know, it's been a tough day for my kid. It's been a tough day for me. I'm not going to take these few precious moments and waste them arguing over a few peas. Um, okay, sweetie, you can have a couple more. Why don't you have a couple more peas? Then I'll let you have your ice cream. You know, so the kid eats um, um, two peas rather than the four that the mother suggests. The mother doesn't want to fight. She lets him have the ice cream. So the boy or, or, or girl learns, uh, with mom, I can manipulate a better deal. Uh, with dad, dad is much more likely to say, um, excuse me, we have a deal here. And the deal here is you've got to finish your ice cream. And the kid says, oh, you're so mean. And dad's response is oftentimes, um, you know, you can continue yelling I'm so mean, and then there'll be no ice cream tomorrow night either. And so the boy with the or the girl with the dad learns that she or he has to finish doing what they need to do, that, that is, doing what needs to do what they need to do, finish the peas before they get what they want, which is postponed gratification. So when that boy or girl goes to school and starts to uh, work on their homework, the kid without postponed gratification is twice as likely to look at a text, be distracted by a text, be distracted by an invitation to do a new video game. Um, and so boys raised predominantly by dads, only 15, and boys and girls raised, raised predominantly by dads, only 15% of them have ADHD problems. Boys and girls raised predominantly by moms, 30% have ADHD problems because they don't learn to focus on doing what they need to do, finish the peas before they get the ice cream. And so, the, but the result of that for boys especially is that the boys start seeing that they're not being honored by their teachers or respected by their teachers. They're not being respected by peer groups. When it gets to be boy-girl time, the boy sees that the girl is, girls are interested in going out with the winners, not the losers that can't finish anything or do anything well. Um, he begins to have a low self-concept. He starts being alienated and withdrawing, usually into video games. And then when it gets to be super boy-girl time, he starts withdrawing into porn. Um, and then the more he withdraws into porn, he goes down the slippery slopes of being addicted to pornography, um, and, and which increases his dopamine when he takes greater and greater risks in the virtual world. And then when he finally gets a real-life girl or woman to be interested in him, the, the girl or woman feels very objectified and like he doesn't know how to really relate to her. And so she rejects him, which sends him back to more porn and more video game addiction. And so that's the slippery slope that, um, that dad's involvement almost always helps prevent, um, especially if dads are really involved in the process of the parenting. Well, I could, um, uh, having known the value of, of, of dad involvement um, uh, for, uh, on a, a personal and family level, I understand what you're saying. But uh, there are many uh, young men who uh, overcome this, sometimes uh, joining the armed forces. The Marines are rife with stories of uh, how the Marines uh, uh, overcome this. Um, it, it seems to me that the, the key to it is pro providing purpose and leadership uh, to yes. the young men. 
You're absolutely right. And one of the purposes, you know, one of the positive functions, if you, you join the Marines, you're, more, you're much more likely to come back dead or having um, PTSD than any other of the um, military services. However, uh, no matter which of the military services you join, you do usually get structure. You get postponed gratification. You get the discipline. You get the, you know, I don't want to hear any excuses. And these things, assuming the male survives, um, he um, and or doesn't have you know come back with PTSD as you know that you know there's a veteran that commits suicide every 65 minutes and so there's um, there and there's many many more veterans that commit suicide uh, in any given year than that are killed in the Afghanistan and um, Iraq together um, but when that man does survive and doesn't have a traumatic experience um, he's much more likely to come back much more mature my personal suggestion if you're listening to this is if you're if you want your son to get that type of maturity um, encourage him to go into the Air Force the Army or the Navy uh, where the chances of him coming back unharmed um, are much greater and he won't get quite as much discipline as he will in the Marines he won't have quite the amount of camaraderie as he will in the Marines but he will at least come back um, much more likely without PTSD well I hate to have, uh, I, I hate to disagree with a guest but uh, as a correspondent, we always, um, uh, when you went to a camp, you always wanted to go to a camp that was organized and disciplined. And there were Absolutely. army units like the 82nd Airborne and various elite units that were like that. But you always saw it with the Marines. Um, you, you saw the discipline. Um, I, I also take exception. I don't believe the Marines take more casualties um, than... Uh, uh, the other services um, on, on a uh, by, uh, on a conflict by conflict basis, but that's for another time. Um, sure. You know, the larger the larger uh, point there, I very much agree with you about, which is that the, you know the services do create discipline and postpone gratification, which do allow many boys, especially boys raised by moms, um, are much more likely to not have that discipline and postpone gratification. And so, you know, the, the boys raised by moms are far more likely to join the military uh, and often do um, pick up and absorb uh, that greater amount of discipline and, and uh, postpone gratification. So it adds, it adds a great deal to their life. Well, let me uh, let me turn it around to you and ask a question. We always talk about the greatest generation, the the uh, men and women who fought in World War II, and uh, there's a new book out uh, on the uh, Marines that came back from the Chosan uh, Reservoir, and I happen to have known one of those Marines um, when I was a young man, and I was always uh, uh, he had a tremendous effect on my life, uh, and. Uh, what I noticed about them, uh, in this particular case, he was an orphan, a Jewish orphan, as a matter of fact. And uh, he went on to become a producer at uh, NBC News and the profound effect upon my life. Um, but what I learned from him was that um, um, places like the Marines and the Army uh, uh, really lead to... Uh, really lead um, um, uh, men to uh, uh, bring out the best. Yet it seems to me that for, uh, the generations afterwards, my generation, I'm 75, and I came of age in, in 1960, 
um, we 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 don't seem to have that core uh, discipline and core commitment that the uh, uh, prior generations had. What do you say to that? And certainly, this new generation that I teach uh, worries me greatly because uh, they just sit there and say, "Well, uh, teach me," and uh, I'm there. Now it's up to you to teach me. Rather than what I was taught was, it's up to me to learn. Absolutely, the uh, the gener- I'm 75 also, so, um, and so the um, and it's it's absolutely true that historically we had um, our, our parents and our grandparents what they learned when they were from their fathers. Uh, first of all, they had their fathers uh, almost to a much greater degree, unless they were killed in war. Um, but their fathers, as a rule, um, basically said, "You exist." Therefore, you serve. If you want to be a man, you serve. Uh, today, a much higher percentage of parents uh, have a, communicate a different message, which is that you exist, therefore you deserve. And the parents uh, helicopter around the kids trying to compete to, to serve them as well as possible. Honey, do you want this? Is that too hot? Is that too cold? And that, and that um, sort of babies the children, which is very bad for both boys and girls, but is especially unbecoming to boys. Today we face a different set of, uh, of quandaries, which is that as a result of our parents taking such good care of the world and making survival uh, much more likely than it was in, our, in, the, um, in the great generation uh, that fought World War II, um, there's, there's more options for boys and for girls. And so girls have two things going for them. They're, they have female role models that can give, to, can give them more direction with her options. And what, but when there's a single mother family and not a, fa- a father equally involved, the boy doesn't have a male role model to guide him through his options too. So the great, wonderful news is that kids have more options today than they did in the past. The bad news is that girls have more than boys do today. When you have children, um, girls go through the option of, well, I want to be, um, do I want to be a, a raise children full-time? Do I want to raise um, money full-time? Or do I want to do some combination of both? And the boys' three options are work full-time, work full-time, and work full-time. And so you don't have the cultural support for boys to be, say, full-time fathers, if that's the nature of their personality. Um, But we also don't, um, and then when they don't have fathers to do two things that fathers must must do for for boy children if the boy child is going to grow up healthy, one is to help the boy get in touch with what's his personality, what's most fulfilling for him. But then second um, is to teach him to have the discipline to to do and accomplish what is most fulfilling. Many people say, you know, just paint a dream for your children, let your children dream. But a dream that that is not combined with discipline and postponed gratification becomes a, a dream that is not accomplished, that creates a disappointment, that makes a child often withdraw from ever trying anything again for fear that he'll just be a failure. Well, you know, uh, if you fail, uh, what did Winston Churchill say? Success is overcoming a series of failures. You know, we've all failed in life. So what? Uh, I I wanted to be a major league baseball player. Now now you're talking by, by, like someone who has been 
parented well, who has been told by fathers and by mothers that um, that failure is a prerequisite to success. But when you but when you are not when you are not required to keep trying again and know how to deal with the failures, but you're pampered after you fail and taken care of, then you don't learn that skill set that you have learned, which is to try to do that, to, to try to overcome that you know, the failure is just a, pro, a part of the process. And, and oftentimes today when everyone gets a reward for or a trophy uh, for just playing, um, and, and oftentimes in schools there's protection for children not to lose, there's no winners and no losers, this does not prepare a child for that failure that, that is ultimately a prerequisite for, for preparing them to succeed. Oh, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, I, I teach a course to high school students at Columbia University. Uh, and um, uh, they, they invite editors and, and journalists uh, once a, uh, for, for a week. And w when I talk to these kids, and, and uh, uh, I point out, you, 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 I couldn't agree, agree with you more, but can I put a lighter note to it? When I was a young man, I went off to Georgia Tech, and my mother wrote me and said, Remember, teach every, uh, treat every uh, girl as if she were your sister. And I made the mistake of writing back and saying, but that would be incest. And you know what happened? Uh, but you know what happened to me when I got home. Uh, go ahead. Uh, you, you, got, you got whipped around? Oh, bend down so I can hit you. Yeah, right, you wise, you wise guy, you. <laughs> you, you know, um, uh, we rail against our parents till we realize, you know, what is that old saying? I thought my father, at 16, I thought he was pretty dumb. Now yeah. I'm to 21, I'm amazed how much he learned. Yes, uh, I, I remember... I remember um, when I was first married, and again, I was, I'm the same age you are, so I was married about probably in, the, in the, you know in my early 20s, and um, and my my um, uh, wife was wanting to turn the bathroom mat upside down, and I said, you know, why you know why would we ha why are we turning the bathroom mat upside down? And she said it was just you know so it was, it's always clean um, when we walk you know when guests come, and so I thought this is sort of you know not the way I would do this and um, then went over to her home and visited her and we uh, visited her parents um, and walked into the bathroom and there was an upside down mat so we we certainly um, do end up be, uh, she, and, you know she's a woman that became you know very prominent and successful and yet despite that um, you know the her her mom um, wore off on her We've Are you got, there? Hello? Yes, yes, yes. yes. We've, uh, we've got Don Mazzella with us today. We also have a great guest with us today, Dr. Warren Farrell, author of The Boy Crisis, Why Our Boys Are Struggling and What We Can Do About It. Dr. Farrell is currently the chair of the commission to create a White House Council on Boys and Men. And we've got uh, a little bit of time left to go here with uh, the good doctor. Don, do you have any more questions for him? Well, I do, and I'm going to ask a question. Uh, Dr. Farrell, did you also write a book years ago, um, uh, another book about uh, women and equality? Your, your name is so familiar to me, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, rattling around. 
Yes, um, I'm still rattling around too. Um, but the, some, some years ago, I wrote a book called Why Men Are the Way They Are. And I also wrote a book called The Myth of Male Power. And um, and which was a very major book for quite a while, and that book is sort of often credited as having begun um, the fathers' movement and the men's movement. Um, and I wrote a book called Father and Child Reunion on the importance of fathers. But all the all the more, I was really surprised at the degree to which, when I did the research for the boy crisis, I really was shocked at the degree to which fathers were uh, so important, and especially at the different types of things that dads do that lead to children being so much more successful. And I started to see that this was not just a U.S. issue. This is a, a global issue. With all 63 of the largest developed nations, boys are significantly falling behind girls in every single academic subject, and especially in reading and writing. And reading and writing are the two biggest predictors of success. And so we see boys that have minimal father involvement being much more more likely to um, be depressed, to be suicidal. Su the lack of father involvement is the single biggest predictor of suicide, and um, and it's also the biggest predictor of um, committing crimes. And therefore, we you know when our we have millions, uh, thousands of women's centers around the country, and but our thousands of men's centers are basically called prisons or jails. And but and many people know that already. But what they don't know is that more than ninety percent of those people in prisons and jails are uh, boys that have grown up without dads. And what very few people know is that, the, um, that your school shooters and your mass shooters are uh, the very more than 90% are, um, are boys who do those shootings without father involvement uh, or um, um, with, with minimal or no father involvement. And the same, I found, was true with ISIS um, recruits. Um, the, there were three sociologists that did a study of ISIS recruits. They didn't even ask a question about fathers, but it came up so often by both the male and the female ISIS recruits um, that they went back and asked the question systematically and found that that was the single biggest common denominator of, um, uh, of ISIS recruits is a lack of father involvement. And, they, and, and in joining ISIS, they were wanting to do something uh, bigger than themselves, and they had not... Um, had the training to do that, and and they were they were needing a role model, as as oftentimes gang leaders um, find is true, and why boys without fathers are so vulnerable to join gangs, and certainly Hitler Youth, um, that when Hitler was out there recruiting for people um, among the youth, he found that the the easiest people to recruit were boys with minimal father involvement or no father involvement. Amen. Oh, I, uh, I my cousin. Lost his father at eleven, and I never and uh, I watched this, well, the effect it had throughout his life, and I yes. couldn't agree with you more. Thank God I had my father. Yes, uh, yes. And the, the worst case scenario is in divorce when the child hears negative things said about his dad because he looks in the mirror 
and he sees like if his if his mom is saying oh your dad is so irresponsible or he's a liar or you know he just abandoned the family um if he if she says he abandoned the family then that child feels abandoned if he if she says he's a liar or he's irresponsible that child looks in the mirror and says you know uh, or he's a narcissist that child looks in the mirror and says gee i wonder if i'm a narcissist i am after all looking in the mirror or i did lie the other day or i wasn't responsible in turning my homework in in time maybe i'm going to become just as bad as my father and a, a, a bad-mouthing parent doesn't realize that they're not just bad-mouthing the other parent they're bad-mouthing that half of the child that is biologically the other parent you you you, you are so accurate I, i've seen that time and time again it's really um what I always admire are the women who go through the divorce and you try to make it so that uh, the the husband is not the bad guy. And, yes. and with with them, I always uh, I always say, even though they're worse than why they did it, and I think you just ratified uh, their thinking on that, uh, Doctor. Yes, I absolutely have, um, and it's so. I, I think, and, and and if if you're if you're a single mother listening to this, and um, I would, let me just spend a minute giving you some options. Um, if you, if first of all, dads will come back into play ninety percent of the time, not a hundred percent of the time, if you are valuing what they do and why they do it and he he's not feeling like he's being told he's a babysitter and being told how to parent understand that dads and moms have different styles of parenting and the job of a dad and mom is to negotiate um, what's best for the child you will get into you will get into arguments that argument is functional for the children's growth um, if you work it out peacefully with each other your dad, mom is going to be much more likely to protect the child dad is going to be much more likely to encourage risk-taking and so each 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 potential for taking a risk that a child wishes to do should be communicated non-defensively between the two of you to create what I call checks and balance parenting. The kids that have that are the ones that do the best. But if you are a single mom and you can't get your dad, the dad involved, uh, even by valuing what he has to contribute, uh, then definitely get your son involved in Cub Scouts. Definitely get your son involved in Boy Scouts. Definitely get in, your son involved in the um, something called the Mankind Project, um, and, and or get your son involved in going to a faith-based community where uh, he can he where some male minister pastor or rabbi, um, a priest or rabbi helps helps your son meet other kids the same age who have similar vulnerabilities so he doesn't feel alone in the world about his vulnerabilities because boys are, are encouraged to keep their feelings to themselves and keeping the feelings to themselves is the first step um, toward becoming depressed. Mm. Well, um, you really had a mouthful. Jiggy, are you there? We are wrapping things up here with our guest here on our big broadcast. We have got Don Mazzella, our co-host this week here on Talk America Live. We also have Dr. Warren Farrell. He's the author of The Boy Crisis, Why Our Boys Are Struggling and What We Can Do About It. Dr. Farrell is currently the chair of the commission to create a White House Council on Boys and Men. And uh, as we wrap up here with you, Doctor, uh, how do we find you online? How do we pick up your books, social media, all that information? How do we find you, my friend? 
Well, let's see. My uh, my website is warrenferrell.com. That's not Will Ferrell, the comedian. I'm not as funny. Um, but Warren, and then F is in Frank, A-R-R-E-L-L.com. And then uh, the boy crisis uh, can be bought uh, if you're a supporter of independent bookstores at an independent bookstore or if you're uh, wanting to keep your price, your costs down. Um, Amazon is right now having a 30-some-odd percent sale on the boy crisis, so that's the least expensive uh, place to get it. We, we are wrapping up here with uh, Dr. Warren Farrell. And uh, Don, uh, before we let you go, how do we get your books? How do we get a hold of you? How do we do everything, my friend, with you? You cut out on me. Yes, I, 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 I've had no reception for the last few seconds. Uh, t- tell, us, tell us a little bit about where we can find you, Don. Sorry, I can't hear anybody. Thank you much. Appreciate it, Michael. There goes uh, Don Mazzella and, of course, uh, Dr. Warren Farrell. And uh, we appreciate them for being with us today here on our big program. That wraps it up here, and we'll talk to you later.